You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. I'm your host, John B. from gangrenenation.com. And our episode today is brought to you by Built Bar. Get $10 off your first order using promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. You know, for most players on the Jets roster, I know what their role is. I know that if C.J. Mosley stays healthy, he's going to be the star linebacker. I know that Jamison Crowder is going to be the slot receiver. I know that Steve McClendon is going to play like half the snaps as a nose tackle, run stuffer on early downs. But there are a handful of players where I'm not entirely sure what their role is going to be. And the Jets may not even be sure. It may depend on things such as training camp performance. There may be some camp battles. But those are the guys I'd like to talk about today because their role could vary wildly. And that could have implications on the season the Jets have. So we're going to talk about some of these players today where I'm not really sure what their role is going to be. And I'm going to start with a player the Jets just recently signed, and that's Frank Gore, the veteran running back, former member of the 49ers, the Colts, the Dolphins, and the Buffalo Bills last year. And Gore is likely going to be a Hall of Famer in the future. He's 37 years old. He just turned 37 a few days ago. And it's pretty amazing that a 37-year-old pack is still in the NFL. I think we can pretty much assume that Frank Gore is not going to be the starting running back as long as Le'Veon Bell is healthy. Bell is obviously going to be the top back on the roster, but it's not really clear what kind of a workload the Jets are going to give Frank Gore. Now, if it was up to me, I'll tell you what I would do. I would enter training camp, and the number two running back job would be a camp battle. And if LeMichael Pirine looked like he was able to produce, if he looked like he was going to be able to contribute in the NFL, he would be my backup. And Bell would still get most of the carries. I mean, he, the Jets are paying Bell big money for a reason, but whenever Bell got tired, then P. Ryan would go in and maybe take a, take give allow Bell to take a couple of plays off, and Gore would be on the bench or if, if he even made the team. That's a one possibility. I'm not sure whether the Jets are going to do things exactly the way I want them to do it. Now, like I said, if it was close, if it was close between Pirine and Gore, I'd give the edge to Pirine because he's the younger player. I think there's a question, maybe do the Jets, if it's close, give the edge to Gore because he's the more experienced guy. And part of this might come down to pass protection. Is Pirine able to step in and contribute as a pass protector year one, which is something a lot of rookie backs struggle with. It's something that keeps rookie backs on the sideline frequently is their inability to pass protect. So that's something that comes into play here. But I think in an ideal scenario, LeMichael Pirine would win the number two job. And I think if it's close, if Pirine shows you that he's capable of producing, I don't really care what Gore can do. That's me, though. Jets may view it differently. Jets may want somebody that they view as reliable, somebody that they view as proven. I think the worst-case scenario, and this was something that you heard this criticism frequently of Adam Gase in Miami, and I don't think we saw a lot of this last year with the Jets, so I can't say that I'm that worried about it, but I, I do think that there was there was a criticism of Adam Gase in Miami that he was too quick to stick with veteran skill players at, at positions like running back and wide receiver. That he was too willing to give older players too many snaps. And one of the big criticisms I heard of Adam Gase when he was in Miami was that Frank Gore got too many snaps at the expense of Kenyon Drake. And in fairness to Gase, Gore was actually pretty effective 
the one year he was in Miami with Gase. So, you know, it's not really clear how accurate that is. But I, I will say this. If Frank Gore is getting like 15 touches in a game and Le'Veon Bell is healthy, then that's a problem. And I think that that would be the, that would be the worst scenario for the Jets. I think the best scenario for the Jets, and I mean, no offense to Frank Gore, would be Le'Veon Bell bouncing back if not looking as good as he did in Pittsburgh, at least looking a lot better than he did in 2019 with an improved offensive line, with a year under his belt now, no more rust after sitting out a full season, and then having P. Ryan behind him ready to step in whenever he needed a break. Because then you have a guy who's you know, still, a guy in Bell who's still an above average back, and you have the young guy of the future ready who's going to probably take on a bigger role in a year. And as good as Frank Gore has been, and even if Frank Gore can still contribute at 37 years of age, there's not really a spot for him. I think, and I think this ultimately goes back to the question, was Gore simply signed for insurance? Because if he was just signed for insurance, in the event P. Ryan's not ready to step in, in the event he struggles in pass protection, then I, I don't think I can really have a big issue with this, with this move, because I, the Jets certainly did not pay Gore a lot of money. But if they brought him in, thinking that he's going to be a big part of the offense, then I don't know how much I love it. And it may be a case where the Jets aren't entirely sure, where it's just kind of them hedging their bets a little bit. They may give Gore big carries if the situation presents itself. They may not if the circumstances don't dictate that. That could easily be as well. So I think it's up in the air to see what Frank Gore will get. My hope is that he's not going to play a big role, and my hope is that the Jets did not sign him under the assumption he's going to get 15 carries a game, under the assumption he's going to beat out LaMichael Piran. I'm hoping that he was just brought in as more of an insurance policy in case the rookie's not ready to play. Now, the next guy I want to talk about, and this is both short-term and long-term, is the third-round pick, Ashton Davis. And as things stand right now, it's typical. You know, Davis is probably not going to play much his rookie year. Best-case scenario, he's going to get in on some dime packages. Unless the Jets are willing to trade somebody like a Marcus May. And I'm not sure they're willing to do that. There's been some buzz that longer term, maybe after this year with May in the final year of his contract, Davis might be the guy who replaces May. But that's an open question. And this may be a situation where the Jets were not 100% sure who Davis was drafted to replace. Because I've said, and I've said this before, there are three guys he can conceivably replace. Because... It could be Marcus May. Davis has a lot of range. Maybe they view him as the new guy who is your deep safety on defense. It could be Jamal Adams. You know, Adams, certainly the, the contract situation with him is a little bit up in the air going forward. Will the Jets and he be able to agree on a long-term deal? It sounds like Adams wants a lot of money. I think the Jets would like to, but it's not clear. Whenever you have a player who's seeking big money, it's never a 100% deal that the team and the team are going to see eye to eye on his value, even if both sides want to make it happen. Another possibility is Davis could be a Brian Poole replacement because if you look at the way the Jets deployed Poole last year, he was playing what it was essentially a safety position an awful lot. And Davis has some experience playing in the slot. And in today's NFL, you know, the, the, there is a lot, there is can be some overlap, especially in Greg Williams' system between the slot corner and a safety. So I don't think you can view Davis purely as a safety, just the same way I wouldn't view Brian Poole purely as a slot corner. Now, I know there's a plan A. I, I, I would imagine that just pick Davis with a plan A in mind. Like he, in an ideal world, he's going to replace this guy, whether it's May, whether it's Adams, whether it's Poole. But I think in general, he was probably selected as a general hedge of the bets because 
it's possible any of these three guys may not be with the Jets next year, and he could conceivably slide into any of those spots. But I'm not sure what plan A is. And in the short, that's for the long term. In the short run, would the Jets think about dealing May? I mean, I don't know. This is just hypothetical speaking. I've seen a few rumors that maybe maybe the Jets picked Davis as a replacement for May, and if that's the case and we get into the season and Davis looks like he's ready to take on a starting role, would they consider making a deal the way they did with Leonard Williams a year ago to get something in return? I don't know. And then don't take the, no, don't take that statement and now say that like I'm starting Marcus May trade rumors. I, I don't, my whole point is I don't really know what the, what the plan is for Ashton Davis in the short term. And then the long term. the only thing I know is that the jets did not draft him to be a long-term backup. Now year one, maybe he'll be a backup, but I'm not sure who he was drafted to replace long-term. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors, 8 are chocolate and nut, and 8 are chocolate and nut-free. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. Peanut Butter Brownie has one has 20 grams protein, 170 calories, 3 grams sugar, 3 grams net carbs, while Mint Brownie has 15 grams protein, 110 calories, 4 grams sugar, 5 grams net carbs. If you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON, one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. Locked On Jets podcast here on a Wednesday, and today I'm talking about players who I'm not certain what their role is going to be on the 2020 New York Jets. We started our show talking about Frank Gore and Ashton Davis. Now, I'll give you another guy, David Fales, and... I think that the possibilities for David Fale span from him being the number two quarterback behind Sam Darnold to not even being on the team. And I'm still not entirely certain what the Jets' plan is at the backup quarterback position. Fales did sign a contract. And I think if you were looking at things right now, if you were setting a depth chart right now, David Fales would probably be the backup quarterback. He has spent extensive time with Adam Gase in the past, not just with the Jets, but in other stops such as Miami. And uh, if he was the primary backup through most of last season, he was signed in season originally to back up Luke Falk, but then the Jets chose fails over Falk once Sam Darnold returned from mono. So is David fails going to be the backup? I mean, I don't think that would be a very good idea. And the one thing I would say is that he did, his contract is not that much. The Jets could easily cut David fails if a better alternative showed up and, Perhaps the Jets want that alternative to be James Morgan. I'm very skeptical. I'm always very skeptical of a fourth-round pick at any position being able to step in on day one, but especially at the quarterback position because Morgan was really a developmental player. And when you're picking a developmental quarterback, well, you're trying to develop him, which means that he's not ready to play right now, even though he has the big arm. So it could Mike White potentially beat out fails for the number two job. Uh, White was a 2015 fifth round pick of Dallas signed with the Jets practice squad a year ago. So he's got a little bit of a background in the system perhaps. And there still are some good quarter, uh, some decent options for a backup quarterback available. This was the odd year where it kind of felt like there was more supply than there was demand for starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, so there's still some decent options out there. I think, you know, Cam Newton would be the number one option. I'm not sure the Jets could get him to be their backup, but there still are some solid options for, for backup quarterbacks out there. Either way, I, I, if it was up to me, David Fales would not even be an option to be the number two quarterback. In fact, I'm not even sure I, I see the logic behind signing him, even though he did not get much money, because 
this is like the opposite of Frank Gore for me. Like Frank Gore, you can count on. I feel like Frank Gore is a guy you can count on to at least give you competent play if you need to call upon him. He kind of gives you a floor, a decent floor. Whereas David Fails, if he has to play, Jets are in some trouble. So I don't know where David Fails is eventually going to fall on this team. I just hope it's not as the number two quarterback. And there's no real logic behind keeping him as the number three quarterback. So I kind of hope he not, ends up not being on the team. And if he is the starter, again, like people like to talk about the term insurance, like he's insurance. David Fails is not insurance. Jets are in a lot of trouble if David Fails is in there. So I, I, I'm hoping that there, there's some other alternative out there and David Fails ends up not playing. No offense to you, David, if you're listening. Next guy I'm going to talk about is Bless Austin. And I talked about how I felt like Bless Austin was kind of one of the losers of the draft for the Jets because they both drafted Bryce Hall in the fifth round and traded the sixth round pick for Quincy Wilson. So the Jets got two guys who play his position. And it's suddenly a pretty crowded room at corner for the Jets. There, there are lots of guys who are competing for a job. But Bless Austin, I think, is going to get a chance to compete for a starting job. And the outcomes for Bless Austin very wildly I mean, I, I, if you told me Bless Austin was going to be a week one starter for the Jets, I'd believe you. And if you told me Bless Austin was not even going to make the team out of training camp, I'd believe you because, there again, there are so many players there. But there's no, there aren't many players who are proven. So I think it's a wide-open competition at the corner position. And we saw what Bless Austin did a year ago, and I think there were some things to build on. Now, I think maybe people got a little too excited about him because – they were Jets were not giving him very difficult assignments last year, and the quarterbacks Bless Austin faced were typically not that good. And once the Jets started expanding his assignments, especially in games against Miami and Pittsburgh, put, putting him in more man coverage, it was a big-time struggle. But all that said, for a sixth-round pick, he did put pretty well because I never expect much out of sixth-round picks. And not just that, for a sixth-round pick who was coming off a couple of torn ACLs. And when you're... Uh, the guy you were not even, or at least the guy I was not even expecting to get on the field last year because I figured last year was pretty much going to be a rehab year for him. The fact he was able to get on the field for half the season and more or less hold his own, that's a positive sign. Now, what are some of the obstacles for him? Well, as I mentioned, there are lots of guys in there. There are lots of guys he's going to be competing against. And the good news is that none of them really have big reputations in the NFL. There are guys like him who are trying to kind of make a name in the NFL, carve out a role in this league. So, in some ways, he's probably on equal footing with some of those guys. He's had another year to get healthier. He's had a year to learn Greg Williams' system. But he's still got to prove himself. And it's just because he had some success at the end of last year, that does not necessarily mean it's going to carry over. He has to go out there and perform. So, as I said, this is this might be the ultimate guy where I'm not entirely sure what his role is going to be because you, couldn't, you could not surprise me with anything. You told me he was going to st- step into a starting lineup and – do a good job and be, be a quality starter for the Jets in their scheme this year. I, I could believe that. If he told me he's not going to make the final roster out of training camp, I'd believe that too. Locked on Jets podcast, talking about players whose role I'm not really sure about heading into 2020, players whose season could go any number of ways and how their season goes could impact the Jets. And the last guy I'm going to talk about is Greg Van Roten, who the Jets signed from the Carolina Panthers veteran who has bounced around pro football actually spent a stint in the Canadian Football League and at the time the Jets signed him I figured he was going to be a starter but as time has gone on I'm not sure maybe he was a depth signing 
And, you know, whenever the Jets sign somebody, people always get excited and they act like, you know, lots of people want to tell you every sign is going to be like a game changing sign. It's going to transform the Jets, whatever unit that guy plays on. And, you know, sometimes they aren't that. Sometimes you should just look at a signing and say, hey, maybe this guy can fill a role. Maybe this guy can be better than what we had. And that's kind of the way I look at Van Roten because he's not the kind of guy who transforms the Jets' offensive line. If you're saying that the Jets suddenly have a great offensive line because they made this signing, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I think what you're looking at is a guy who can be a competent player, perhaps could be better than what the Jets had, if nothing else, fill a role. And I'm not sure, though, that he's... I'm not sure what that role is. Is the role going to be a starter? Is he going to replace Brian Winters? You know, you look at the money the Jets gave him, it's not big-time money. It could be the type of money that they just gave him to be a depth player. It's not the kind of money Alex Lewis got. The Jets brought back Alex Lewis, who they traded for last year from Baltimore, who played, who was a starter for most of the year. They brought Lewis back on starter money. Van Roten, the money the Jets gave him could be high-end backup money. And the other thing that's notable is it's less money than Brian Winters is making, and Winters is still on the team. Now, in an ideal world, I'd like to see Van Roten win this starting job. And I'd like to see Winters not be starting anymore this year because I do think Van Roten could be better than Winters. But I'm not sure where the Jets are on that. And it kind of stands to reason that if the Jets were dead set on starting Van Roten, Jets probably would have either cut Winters or asked him to take a pay cut because Winters is making a lot of money for a backup. Now, it also could be that the Jets are just going to let these guys compete in training camp which would make some sense. You know, Jets have a lot of versatile offensive linemen that they've brought in this year, so maybe just play them on multiple spots and try and find the best possible mix. That's something that, that could come into play. So you know, for Van Roten, it could be he's a starter, it could be he's a backup, it could be that the Jets aren't sure yet. And I certainly am not sure. Anyway, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Locked on Jets podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. As always, if you like the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. I hope you have a great Wednesday, everybody. Send in your mailbag questions because we'll do our mailbag show tomorrow.